This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 109, for Monday, March the 25th, 2013. Oh, I said thousand. You did say thousand. I've been giving I've been giving my wife a hard time about saying two thousand and thirteen. Really? And then I just went and did it myself. Have you uh, Have you laid down a nice foundation of nagging about it? Well, uh, maybe not enough. Maybe the uh, the secret is to nag her when she doesn't do it, like just as a regular basis. Don't forget to say twenty instead of two thousand. Right, because it's not two thousand and thirteen. It's twenty thirteen, just like the year you were born in. I was not born this year. Well, I mean, you know, in my case, 1975. Yeah, that's 1,975. No, it's The year of our Lord, 1,975. (laughs) Anyways, it's March 25th, 2013. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We've got an interesting show today because we're going to mix it up a little. Really? We're going to try something new. We're going to play with the format just a little bit. You're presupposing that that's interesting, though. Uh, it's interesting for you and I, okay? Because we got to see if we can make it work, and you know, hopefully, oh. people out there don't get too confused and wonder what's going on, and and are aren't sure if they're listening to the right podcast or not. Trust me, it's still us. All We're right. just going to do things in a different order. I'm going to reserve my judgment on whether or not it was interesting until the end. Very good. The first <clears throat> thing, though, does not change, and that is that I have to wish you a happy day today. Oh, good. And that is Happy Tolkien Reading Day. Oh, that's today. That's today. Tolkien Reading Day is an annual event. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry, I'm (laughs) derailing you here. Go ahead. You're getting ahead of me. Start. It is an annual event launched by the Tolkien Society in 2003. Oh, man, see that? You have to say 2003. I'm going to start nagging you. (laughs) 2003, that takes place on March 25th. It has the aim of encouraging the reading of the works of J.R.R. Tolkien and the use of Tolkien's works in education and library groups. The date of March 25th was chosen in honor of the fall of Sauron in Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. He would, uh, he fell on March 25th? According to the website, <laughs> yes. That's very interesting. I haven't read the book, so maybe I should start today. Well, I, don't, I just wasn't aware that there was an actual date <clears throat> on it. I knew that uh, Middle-earth was supposed to be a uh, prehistoric uh, Europe. Like yeah. it's not supposed to, it's not another planet, it's prehistoric Europe. Right? right, that makes sense to me. So, but I just wasn't aware that, uh, you know, events actually took place on specific dates. Well, March 25th, apparently, is the fall of Sauron. So it's Tolkien Reading Day. So anyone out there who's got a copy of The Lord of the Rings or any of his novels in front of them right now, pick it up and read a few lines. Yeah, and uh, maybe even go to Audible and get The Hobbit. Hey, that would be a great idea. If you're going to do that, make sure you visit um, audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. I would consider that reading in this case. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Pop on an audiobook. Yeah. Um, it's also Vaffeldagen in, in Sweden. Oh, that's my favorite. Do you know what it is? I have no idea what that is. Well, if you thought about it, you could probably figure it out, but that's Waffle Day. Jason. Waffle Day? So it probably is your favorite. Oh my God, I'm going to have to go home and read Tolkien while eating waffles. It's <laughs> a very good idea. I know we have a few listeners in Sweden, so a happy Vaffeldagen to you. No, I, I hope I'm saying that right. If I would have thought about it, I wouldn't have come up with waffle. No? No. Okay. Waffle. Waffle. Well, it makes perfect sense, but I don't think I would have come up with that. Uh, and you know what I'm saying? Uh, no, it is a V. I was going to say it's like a, it's, it's a W, but it's a V, so waffle. Yeah. I know I know that in German, that uh, they switch the Vs and Ws around. Yeah, it sounds well, like a German compared word. Compared to English. 
I'm sure that English switches them around compared to German. That's the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I've got a phone call we're going to start with here, and this is for you, Jason. Okay. This great. is for you. Cool. Hey, I'm just listening now to the latest episode of your podcast, and I just want to say I love how you can always count on Jason to say the most random <laughs> and, with all due respect, ridiculous thing. That's why you're here. Yeah. And it's really entertaining. So I totally love the Jenner theory. That was hilarious. Um, the whole Jenner's just running around screwing up shit, I think, was the quote. Yeah. <laughs> so. I thought that was hilarious. Um, keep up the great work, you guys. I, so I just thought I'd play that off the top. That's because not random. That's a well-thought-out theory. Yeah, well-thought-out <laughs> on the spot, if those two can go together yeah, somehow. Yeah, no, it was random. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there off the top because she was essentially talking to you, and it's uh, it's uh, it's nice to hear from the people sometimes yeah. like, like that. My, my whole <laughs> life is like that, and uh, it can frustrate people around me. <laughs> Just so you know. Crazy, wacky theories about everything. <laughs> Just random thoughts. Uh, okay, here's where things are going to go off the rails a little bit, people. We're going to start with something different this week. Okay. And it is this. Listener feedback. That's right. What we're, we've decided to do, and we're just trying this out, we're going to try this out, is um, play some listener feedback about last week's episode of The Walking Dead before we recap this week's episode. Cool. It's always felt to me a little bit weird doing one podcast a week where the first thing we do is recap the latest episode, then we get into feedback, and half the feedback is about the previous week. You know, the more I think about it, the more this makes sense, because Wired Magazine is actually structured like this. You read Wired every now and again. Every now and again. One of the first things that happens in Wired Magazine when you're flipping through it is they have uh, feedback from the previous issue. Well, that's like most magazines. People who write in, they I print the letters. I don't read most <clears throat> magazines. I read Wired magazine right. <laughs> and a couple of Xbox magazines, but that's it. Well, uh, over the years of magazine publishing, I think that's been pretty standard uh, practice to well, put good. the feedback, the letters, and then get into the meat of the current. I'm very excited about coming up to standard. Well, there you go. <laughs> so that being said, this is listener feedback for last week's episode, which was called Prey. And the first one here is a call from Jody in Las Vegas. Now... Um, at the end of last week's show, we did some predictions on who we thought would die before the end of season three. Right, right, right. And so a couple of listeners uh, sent in some um, some of their own predictions. Some people went on to Facebook, too, and posted some there. Uh, but I wanted to play uh, Jody from Las Vegas, her predictions for who wouldn't make it the rest of the season. Okay. Hey, guys. My name is Jody, and I'm calling you from Las Vegas, Nevada, and love your show. Listen to it all the time. And I wanted to guess as to who will bite the bullet um, before season, before the season finale, and my guess is Milton, the governor, Herschel, Beth, and Merle. That's who I think is going to bite the bullet, or maybe the zombies will bite them. Thank you guys for doing such a great job with your show. We really do enjoy it here in fabulous Sin City. Keep up the good work. Bye. Fabulous Sin City. Mm -hmm. I've never been to Las Vegas, but I'd really like to go somewhere. I was there for a weekend once. Yeah. Oddly enough, never had a drink the whole time I was there. Well, you're not a big drinker. It was, it was by accident. If I would have thought about it, I would have drank. Just just because you're there. Yeah. It is Sin City, It is. All. Well, I've never been, but uh, thank you, Jody. So... Um, those are some good predictions, and we already know about the fate of one of those people. Yeah, we sure do. Which we'll get into later. Uh, this email comes from Angelica in Australia, and it's about the governor sn smashing the glass in the abandoned warehouse when he was hunting Andrea. Right. 
she's got a really, really good theory on uh, another reason that he would have done that. She says, I also think another reason why he smashed the glass was because she wouldn't be able to crawl. If she crawled, it would leave a bloody trail. And it would hurt. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It does. We, we were thinking she wouldn't be able to walk around if she didn't have shoes on, which why would she not be wearing shoes? That doesn't make any sense at all. Right. But crawling, you know, you're going to get your hands down. It's going to hurt your knees. It's a, it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a very good this idea. governor knows what he's doing. As long as it's not tempered glass. Because tempered glass, like in your car, is meant to break into small, non-sharp chunks, so it doesn't cut you. Oh, really? Is that what that means? Yeah. Non-sharp chunks. Yeah, so it gets the really, really uh, dull angles. So not dull angles, but uh, obtuse angles, so they, uh, huh. they don't hurt. That's really interesting so it doesn't to know. cut you when it breaks. That probably wasn't tempered glass, though. No, that was definitely not tempered glass. That's the thing, is that uh, this, this glass would be perfect for breaking it so that if you curled around, you'd be a pulpy mess by the time <laughs> you got to where you were going. At least your palms. God, I wouldn't like that. That's no fun. Yeah. A friend of mine was once walking upstairs, and there was a shard of glass that had uh, from a broken window that hadn't been properly cleaned up, right. and he stepped on it, and this giant chunk of glass just went right into his heel. Ouchie, oh, ouchie. It was not cool. Long time ago. <clears throat> so Amanda from South Carolina writes about Andrea's fate. She says, I love your show, but I really hope that your prediction that Andrea will be killed off this season is wrong. Somehow I always find myself rooting for her at, her at the end of every season. I hate her, and then I love her. What's up with that? <laughs> Either way, I hope she's around until the very end. Her character always has the potential to surprise me, and she's done it again by showing off her badass qualities as the down and dirty survivor. I feel like I'm in the minority when I say this, but go team Andrea. So it's not all hate on for Andrea out there. That's nice to hear. We've got some some people who like her. And I, you know, I I have been disappointed with the way things have gone with her a little bit this season, but seeing her in interviews, reading stuff and hearing her talk about her character, it does kind of make me understand it a little bit better and a little bit more tolerant. Well, that's good. I think. And it's <clears throat> glad to know that Amanda's out there too who doesn't uh who feels the same way. I haven't been uh, partaking of the interviews or any of that other extra material. So I'll just have to trust that you understand and that she's not uh, completely hated universally. There you go. Not totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brent from Arkansas sent this call in about the uh, chain rings. Hey, this is Brent from Arkansas. I was listening to the most recent podcast about the chains the governor had in his little dextery torture chamber. Didn't they look a lot like the same chains Michonne had on her pets? And now he's going to use the same chains to chain her up as his pet. And about the distance in between the rings, it looks like it's at the right distance to where he can have each one around her head. So she's going to have the two hoops around her neck chained to the two posts to keep her head from being able to move back, you know, side to side. So. That was my impression of the chains. So the most interesting thing, I think, <clears throat> there is the idea that he'd put both hoops around one person's neck, yep. and then that person would just be stuck there in the middle. And that sounds like the most horrifying thing ever. It, yeah, it would be very, very bad, which is exactly, and he's right about the, the ironical nature of uh, having the chains for her pets. Ironical is not a word. I know that. And... Uh, <laughs> Having them, uh, her chained around her neck is, uh, and having the chains on them, I think is, is very ironic. It's, it's entertaining. It's, it's the irony is great, um, but just the thought of being chained, 
you know, around the neck on one chain is one thing. Like, that's bad enough. But at least you can walk around the pole and wind up the chain and then unwind it and whatever. You know, you can move. Right. But if you've got one, two rings around you from two poles and you're stuck in the middle and you can't do anything, that just sounds way worse to me. Yeah. Way, way worse. Is that a phobia of yours? Like, this, this really disturbs you? It kind of does disturb me. Yeah. I don't want to ever be chained to two poles by the neck. It doesn't disturb me that much, but uh, having a a bag over my head at the time, I'm claustrophobic, so that would uh, oh. that would frighten me. Bag over or, your head, or stuck in a tube of some kind, <laughs> would be really really bad. What about chained around your neck in a tube with a bag over your head? Yes, not so good. <laughs> very very not good. Oh well. So thank you, Brent. Michelle from the internet writes about the song the governor was whistling. The tune he was whistling is the song "By Baby Bunting" that he sang to Penny when she was still sort of alive. <laughs> Oh, he's way over the deep end then. Yeah, this this news came out pretty soon after the episode last week. We didn't get it in time for recording last week's podcast, but it was confirmed, I think, by Glenn Mazzara, and then since then that that actually was the song by Baby Bunting, and he did sing it to Penny when she was still with us. Um, so it's the same tune, and he's, I don't know, just, I guess it brings him comfort or something like that. Should, should I read you the lyrics? Really quickly, I, I sure. They're very short. Bye, baby bunting. Dad, daddy's gone a hunting. Going to get a rabbit skin to wrap my baby bunting in. Oh, see, that's good. That's very appropriate. <laughs> Appropriately crazy. Just change rabbit to human skin. And... Yeah, change rabbit to Michonne and you're all good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right. Then we've got Adrian from Australia, also about the governor's whistling. By whistling in the factory... The acoustics would bounce a noise like that everywhere, making it much harder to pinpoint where the governor was. He was doing this to scare and intimidate Andrea, hoping a sudden burst of noise from everywhere would panic her into giving up her position. That would work. I like it. This is it's good stuff. I mean, this governor seems to be a smart guy. Yes. Seems to be a smart guy. Jen from Peterborough writes about the walkers in the staircase. She says, My problem with that scene is that the walkers didn't follow Andrea when she closed the door. If you notice, the glass window in the door had been smashed, and she was standing directly in front of it. The entire time she was standing there, I expected zombie hands to reach out and grab her uh, or her hair, but it didn't happen. There was more than enough time for those walkers to walk down those stairs and get to the door. Now, this is something I kind of thought of at the time as well, like, she opened the door, walked right in, and then the walkers just seem to ignore her until she opens the door again, and then they're immediately there and out the door. <clears throat> but I think I figured it out. Okay. When I went back and watched it, the first time she goes through the door, the walkers are all on their way up the stairs, so they don't really see her. They well, might like, have heard a noise. Well, well, what was that? Exactly. Yeah. But they don't see her there, and they're sort of halfway up the staircase. So it, I guess it took them a little bit of time to realize something was going on down there, turn around, and start coming down the stairs. Now, maybe they would have had enough time to do that while Andrea and the governor were standing there chatting, but the fact is they didn't see her at first. So um, maybe they just took their time, and then when she went in and opened it, you know, the noise of the door opening or whatever or all the talking out there had sort of drawn them the other way a little bit. And as they were coming down the stairs, normally they would just go for Andrea, who's behind the door, but as soon as they got to the bottom of the stairs, they could see the governor out of their peripheral vision. Right. And they went, ooh, there's a guy. Go get him. Exactly. Uh, for, who, who cares who's behind this door? There's a big metal door in between us. Let's go eat that guy. Right. So uh, that's what I think it was. They were just looking the wrong way. Or maybe this is their normal route to work 
every day, and so they're back into that uh, their their habit of when they were alive. Go down the stairs, turn right, continue walking, go to work. Yes. Hey, there's a guy. Let's get him. Let's eat him. Let's not walk down the <laughs> stairs. See what's behind the door. No, no one looks behind a door. Right. You'd think that they would be smart enough if uh, this was their regular route to work. Uh, they'd be smart enough to open the door. Because we've um, seen a zombie. We saw, uh, uh, what's his name? At the beginning, his wife tried to get through the door. Yeah, Morgan's wife. Morgan's wife tried to open the door. She did. So they uh, they know how to open a door. Unsuccessfully, though. Now, the door was locked. I guess if it was locked and she just had to t- fiddle with the knob and open it, it might have opened. Right. So from that, can we postulate that uh, zombies know how to open doors that are unlocked? Well, we haven't actually seen it happen, so I don't think we can quite get there yet. We know they can fiddle with knobs. Yes. Okay. <laughs> knob fiddlers. Maybe they maybe they fiddled with the knob and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Andrea came along, opened it, and they're like, "Oh, now we can go back oh, our yeah. regular way." Yeah. There okay. You. Now we can go to work. Let's go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Why not? All right. Uh, thank you, Jen from Peterborough. By the way, Corthadary rules. Yeah. Uh, Dave from Buffalo writes about who burned the screamer pits. He says, I have a guess as to who burned the walkers in the pit, and it's not Milton. Who do we know that likes to burn the dead while he clears? If Morgan is indeed going to be in the finale, as IMDb credits him with, then this maybe is how they can bring him back. Son of a bitch, that's the answer. No, it's not. Oh, well, it, it, it may be. I mean, it, it I might like be. the I answer. Know. I want it to be true. Don't want, contradict me. Okay, sorry. I think it's a good answer, and I think it, it makes sense kind of for the story. Yeah. You know, Morgan's come to his senses a little bit, or maybe he's just in the area clearing zombies, and he found a big hole full of them, so he thought he'd light it on fire. Right. However, I went back and rewatched the scene in super slow motion. Super, super slow motion. Yes. And there's a scene. Uh, it might be as the mystery person throws the torch yeah i think it's they light the torch and then throw it camera follows the arm a little bit across the person's body and you can see their neck a little bit of their neck and it's a white neck oh so it's not a morgan neck it's not morgan's neck now are you are you and it might they didn't uh, i'm trying to express a thought here and it's just not working so Maybe it was just a prop guy that uh, acted this scene, and it actually was Morgan, uh, the Morgan's character. This is what I'm thinking. If it is indeed Morgan that burned those pits, um, maybe that's what they were going for. It's, it's a technical just, foul. That's right. right. It's maybe it's Morgan. It's just they didn't quite, you know, cut the neck off quite enough there. Right. Um, the other thing is, last week on AMC's Talking Dead, I think that's where it was. Lori Holden was on, and she essentially said straight out that it was Milton. Um, right now, you know, they like to keep these sort of mysteries from the audience until they're ready to reveal them. So she probably wasn't actually sitting up there saying, yep, it's Milton. Everybody just move on. Um, so I don't take that as sort of the, the truth right? necessarily. So I'm going to go with that. It could still be Morgan. It could be a Milton. It could be somebody else. The, the word Milton is very close to the word M- Morgan. <laughs> maybe she meant so Morgan. Maybe she, uh, you know, caught it at the last second or, you know, in her head and switched it. She's, yeah. I So the person who burned the screamer pits is Mo Hilton. Yes. Something but she like caught that. it faster than that right. because she's a professional talker. Right. Right. So, you know, it still could be uh, Morgan. And I like that answer. I think it is Morgan. I'm going with that. I think so too. I like it. I, uh, if indeed he's in next week's episode, then why not? That's a good way to bring him sort of back into the fold. Yeah. I'm willing to lay down non existent and fictional money on this. Really? Yeah. 
So we're going to place a bet. Yeah, one fictional non-existent dollar. With me or with the listeners? Just with you because, <laughs> you know, there's less of you than listeners, oddly enough. Yeah, true. All righty. I'll Slightly. take that. I'll take that. Sli- slightly less. Yet for some reason, I think it's Morgan too. Uh, all right. Finally, we have a call here from Rob in Illinois. And it's kind of funny, so I, I left it till the end here. Hey, this is Rob from Naperville, Illinois. Just calling about a little something random that I was thinking about. All these walkers walking around with how much weight they're losing from the, like not eating and whatnot. I'm thinking that, that all of their pants would be to the floor. I like I don't know. I just thought it was funny, kind <laughs> of random. I, you know, obviously they don't care about them. Like they wouldn't be pulling them up. Yeah, all these walkers walking around, they would absolutely be pantless. A little something random for you guys. Take it easy. Uh, thank you, Rob. So. Uh, yeah, probably. And in, in, <laughs> if this was a real thing, we'd have a bunch of walkers walking around pantless. Tripped, falling down, kind of crawling <laughs> around, because it's, it's hard to coordinate walking with uh, your pants around your ankles. And you know zombies are not coordinated enough to actually take their pants off. Right. Now, unless the pants slowly disintegrated into nothing, and then they could stand back up again. <laughs> well, it depends on the pants, too, right? Like, some people have their pants cinched on pretty good. Yeah. Right? And if you're a zombie, I well, I, do you lose weight? Well, you you eat a lot, but you don't retain any of it. You don't gain weight, and you just deteriorate. You rot. So you would yeah, get you probably get skinnier. Your pants and a lot of your clothes might fall off eventually. Yeah, I'm with you on this. We'd have a lot of pantless zombies. <laughs> we should have more pantless zombies. Pantless zombies, in theory. <laughs> uh, yes, maybe that's where the show will be going. I or really don't know their uh, residual memories from when they're alive. Maybe they do hike up their pants. Yeah. It's a regular thing for a lot of people to hike their pants up a little bit when they're starting to slip. Oh, you see it every day. Yeah. So <laughs> it's hard to say. Uh, zombies wearing sweatpants might have a better uh, time of it because the elastic would just yeah. sh- shrink as they shrink a little think. bit until it gets, you know, too skinny and then they'd fall off anyway. Let me just say that I wish suspenders would come back in style. <laughs> just just in case the zombie apocalypse No, happens. just, you know, for my own personal day-to-day life, rather than having to hike up my pants when they're starting to slip down, you know, get out of position or whatnot. If I had suspenders, life would be great. I think I've only worn <clears throat> suspenders once time, one time in my life with a tuxedo I had to wear. That was at my wedding. Was it? Yeah. You wore, yeah, we had, uh, we had suspenders and shirt holes in our pants, remember? Yeah, I, know, I remember the shirt holes. Uh, okay, maybe that was at your wedding then. There you go. I'll just explain shirt holes quickly. Uh, there are little <laughs> holes in your pocket so you could pull your shirt down. Yeah, that's no, it. that's, that's great. high tech clothing or high high clothing technology. Those are like right my there. favorite pants ever. Yeah. And I got the worst suspenders. That was a great day. You should. And get... I got married. <laughs> <laughs> On top of the amazing pants. <laughs> clothing wise, it was a good day. Married my wife wise, awesome day. There you go. What more could you ask for? Yeah, really? really. All right. Thank you, Rob, for that insight on pantless zombies. And that's going to wrap up our first section of listener feedback for last week's episode, Pray. So now, back to your regularly scheduled program, sort of. The Walking Dead News. We're not quite done with Prey yet, and that is because I need to report that it scored 10.84 million viewers. That's good. Unfortunately, I don't have the total for the 9 and 11 p.m. broadcast this week because for some reason TV by the numbers didn't have the rebroadcast on their list. So maybe it did really poorly this week and just didn't make the top 20 or whatever. Well, they're an independent thing, right? They're not like they wouldn't they wouldn't have any reason to not report numbers, would they? No, I don't think so. It's just I couldn't find the rebroadcast numbers for some reason. Uh, Usually they it's didn't right have there. Them. I don't know. There's may- a hiccup. Somebody was sick. Who knows? They, they weren't there to actually calculate or, you know, send a spreadsheet along in an email. I did find out, though, that the Bible um, scored pretty well again this week. That is not just a one-off from last week, but yeah. it's an ongoing 
miniseries at least, and the Bible actually came in first this week. First time in a long time that The Walking Dead was not number one for really? the week. Now, it didn't beat it by much. The Bible had 10.97 million. Oh, that's only like 100,000 people. Uh, 10.84 versus 10.97. Yeah, so just a few more people watched the Bible this week. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how how long the Bible goes for, but presumably there's a lot of content in there, so they could make a pretty long-running TV show about it. Uh, the Bible's a pretty thick book, yeah. Uh, but I've been considering purchasing it ever since uh, I've been hearing about the, the ratings the last couple of weeks. It's on iTunes, right? So I've been hovering over going, should I buy that? Oh, the TV show. I thought you meant the book. No, the Bible. <laughs> I'm sure we have a copy kicking around somewhere. Right. But uh, the actual TV show on iTunes, you can, I don't know if you can buy the actual Bible off of... Uh, can you buy the Bible on uh, Apple? As an audio book? As an audio book or... Um, or uh, a book, a, a digital copy of a book on digital. I, I have no idea, but why doesn't somebody go out there and read the Bible and then post it on Audible? I'm sure it is. I mean, it's 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 outside of copyright. I don't think you have to. It's a no copyright. Interesting. Uh, violation Interesting. I've never thought to look for it. I've also never read it, so uh, I'm going to look. I'm clearly a heathen. I read uh, Revelations once, but that was about it. Just to see what we're all coming uh, to. It was an English project. Ah, there you go. It was way too big of an English project. I talked <laughs> way too much. <laughs> All righty. That's it for the news this week. So really quick, now we're going to get into our regularly scheduled program. Cool. And recap this week's episode. This Sorrowful Life. That's right. It's called This Sorrowful Life. You're looking up the Bible still, I am you? looking up the Bible. Is it there? No, I don't know yet. I'll, All right. I'll get to it. Well, I'm going to start. Yeah, go ahead. So we pick up this episode. There are some zombies along the prison fence, and Rick is there telling Daryl about the plan to hand over Michonne. Mm. So now he's told um, Herschel. I almost said Scott Wilson. He's told Herschel and Daryl. They're talking about how to do it, and uh, Daryl agrees to help, even though he says, this just ain't us. You know, yeah. we, we don't do this kind of thing. Um, and Rick thinks they need somebody else, and he means Merle. He sure does. So Daryl offers to go talk to Merle, but Rick says, no, I'm going to go talk to him myself. Um, so he does that, and he gets to Merle, and he's tearing up his mattress looking for drugs. <laughs> this <is> kind of... <laughs> There's mattress shards all over the place, springs, whatever else is in a mattress, foam probably. Why would you be in a zombie apocalypse where there are, you know, if... They're in a prison, sure, but there's got to be a limited supply of mattresses. Why destroy one of Why them? Why not destroy a couple looking for drugs? I mean, a prison, this is a good place to hide drugs inside your mattress. Uh, the, the thought of uh, when a dog is left unattended, he will rip up a mattress for un, unknown reasons, uh, maybe looking for a treat of some kind. Uh -huh. And this uh, that idea occurred to me. At this point, he's just some kind of dog yeah. rifling through something, making a mess, looking for a treat. That that Crystal analogy meth. that analogy works. He said the best weed he ever had was uh, was in a mattress. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how that logic really works there, but you know, mattress yeah. stores weed Wood. storage. Other yeah. people store their money in a mattress, so you know maybe he'd find some cash. Oh yeah, that'd be very handy. He could buy crystal meth with his cash, right? From nobody who makes it anymore. <laughs> <clears throat> so he's destroying a mattress. I was sort of thinking this is not a cool idea. You need to sleep on these. I mean, he's oh, there's to plenty sleep, of mattresses. Sleep on the hard it's floor. Fine, now. wreck a few. Look for some drugs. You're fine. What's the worst that could happen? You destroy too many mattresses and you have to sleep on a pile of mattress parts. Who cares? <laughs> you could use the mattresses as some sort of defensive padding, maybe. Yeah. Put them up along the fence. I was thinking just make a nest. You just make a nest and burrow in and away you go. Okay, why sleep not? Sleep away the winter hours. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so Rick gets there, tells him the plan, and asks for Merle's help. Now, Merle tells Rick that the governor won't kill Michonne if they turn her over, nope. but torture her. Maybe take out an eye. Probably two. Probably both. <clears throat> exactly. And uh, he says to Rick that if he lets that happen, he's cold as ice. Yeah, you're, you're going to turn her over to that to uh, possibly sk- save your skin? Yeah, on a chance. On a chance. That's cold. As ice. Yeah. Like Coors Light. Um, he, he, also, uh, he also accuses Rick of not having the spine to do it. He says, you know, he calls him officer friendly again. He's like, you couldn't do this. And uh, Rick just says, look, we got to have her to the governor by noon. And we go to the opening credits. When we come back, we have uh, Carl and Maggie out by the fence making noise around there to lure the walkers. And Glenn and Daryl and Michonne are planting barbed wire traps in the field. Yeah, they're uh, they're cleaning out cleaning the yard. Cleaning the yard, but they they were putting barbed wire traps too so that if a car comes up there, it'll blow its tires i got the impression that they were putting the traps out for the zombies like uh you you lure the zombies into one section you put up barbed wire so they can't get back into the other section and you slowly move the traps uh towards the gate and eventually you'll herd them all out into the uh into the world they might have been doing that too but when glenn came back up to the inner yard he said something like a couple of if someone else if someone tries to drive up a couple of blown tires will slow them down oh well i missed that entirely something like that but you know, my first thought, I only caught that on the second viewing. My first thought, too, was that they're putting these out there to somehow trap the zombies or herd them or something like that. Now, Michonne was also out there running around decapitating zombies. Oh, why not? The thing about the yard having being full of zombies again is it's not, it doesn't look like there's that many there. She seems proficient enough with that thing that she could run out there, probably take them all out. Probably. Without too much trouble. Well, that's because they've been working on it for, what, a week and a half? I guess so, but no, even when there was, it not, was not that long because they had two days to decide about Michelle, and it was the day they had to bring her, so it's only been like a day. Yeah, so it hasn't been that long, but still, I just feel like they they could probably go clear that out and then be back to normal again, you know. Exactly. Other than the fact that the fence was was uh, crashed through, but or maybe they decided that they liked the zombies out there. It's a nice buffer between the outside world and their prison. It's like a moat. It's a zombie moat. Yeah. So that's a really good thought, actually. Why clear it out? I mean, you could use some of that space, sure, but it's also protective because people can't just come right through it so easily. Right. Interesting idea. Uh, but they gather, everyone gathers back inside the inner gate, uh, and Merle is inside looking down at them from a window. We cut inside, and he starts talking to Carol, who's there. She questions him whether he's with them. Yep. And she doesn't just mean physically, but, you know, on their team, more or less. Merle says that he's here for his brother. And they talk about how Carol is no longer scared of anything. Yeah, she's, she's uh, not the mouse that she used to be. Scared she's, of her shadow. That's right. She's come around. She also said it was my husband's that's shadow. my husband's shadow. That's right. He was the mean guy. We go to Glenn and Daryl outside. Daryl's looking for Merle, but uh, Glenn doesn't really feel like talking to him when he asks him if he knows where he is. And Daryl tries to apologize to Glenn for Merle, for everything that uh, Merle did. And uh, Glenn tells Daryl exactly what Merle did to him and Maggie. And I thought that Daryl sort of got the point here. He was sort of like, oh, it's, I see your your side of this. And yes. uh, I, you know, I don't really blame you for feeling pretty angry towards my brother. Yeah. He, yeah, he's definitely, he was definitely Merle's apologist, though. Well, yeah, he's, he's family, right? The, yeah. Family in this show sticks together quite a bit, whether you're blood-related or just, you know, 
people surviving together. But in this case, it's a blood relation. The brothers are together. But I think Daryl sort of gets the idea that, yeah, Merle threw a zombie in a room while he was tied to a chair and took Maggie to to the governor and he humiliated her and all these things. So yeah. he he feels bad for it. This was an important conversation. I think this, uh, this conversation led to another... Uh, event that comes up and we'll get to that all righty just wanted to bring it up now all right so daryl walks off and he ends up in the lower section of the prison looking for merle still and he finds him and merle's still claiming that he's looking for drugs <laughs> he's like i'm just looking for crystal meth down yeah, here just looking for a little meth the basement of the prison <laughs> i guess you never know uh and he has a funny line here about uh after he says looking for drugs he has a funny line about uh messing up his life when everything's going so sweet <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like that one. It was funny. Uh, They talk about the plan with Michonne, and Merle says again that Rick doesn't have the stomach for it. Uh, Daryl mentions what he did to Glenn and Maggie, and Merle says he's done worse, and that giving Michonne to the governor is no better. Yeah. Is no better. He's turning a mirror on these people and Uh saying, you may think I'm bad, but look what you're about to do. Yeah, I took some people, (laughs) I bound some people up and brought them to the governor. That's what you're doing. Pretty much, pretty much the same thing, yeah. exactly. Uh, so Daryl leaves, and Merle uh, grabs Rick's phone, Rick's uh, mystery phone there, yeah. off the table, and he stuffs it in a bag of supplies that he's gathering. Yeah, he also hung up the phone, which I thought was too bad. I'm like, don't put the phone back on its hook, man. It'll start the ringing sucker's again. sucker's going to ring. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that, but I, I didn't notice it was, un, it was uh, off the hook before yeah. uh, he picked it up. Yeah, he put it back on. Well, that's a dangerous move. I was right waiting there. for it for it to ring in the next four seconds while it was still on the screen. I'm like, that better not ring. No, better not. Rick's not in the room. If it rings when when he's not in the room, yes, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, but he stuffs it in his bag of supplies, so he's not really there looking for meth. He's gathering stuff to do something, uh, or at least he's also doing that. He may be looking for meth. Oh, he's looking for meth. I don't doubt that whatsoever. Right. We go to Herschel, and he's reading some verses from the Bible to Maggie and Beth, and he's now doing a voiceover, and we cut to Rick rooting through some garbage, and he finds a network cable, right? <laughs> which I guess he figures is a nice, strong piece of wire. Yep. Hard to to uh, cut without, uh, you know, the proper implement. You can't chew through it. Can't chew through it. And as he's testing the strength, he looks up, and he sees Ghost Lori again. On the prison bridge. Yeah. That's uh, where a lot of people appear there. She's wearing her normal clothes, and she's pregnant again. So he's not seeing wedding dress Lori now. He's seeing, uh, you know, dirty post-apocalypse knocked up Lori. That's a, that's a step in the right direction. It is, for sure. He's not thinking back to about, you know, to the, uh, the good old days, I don't think. He's at least seeing a vision of her from not that long ago. I, when I saw that, I was thinking that he's on the, uh, the crazy interstate on the way out of Crazy Town on this t- at this time. Yeah. Soon, he's still in the crazy car. Well, he's seeing her. But he's on the crazy interstate now. Okay. Soon he's going to take the not-so-crazy exit back into right. semi-real world. Right. Or uh, less crazy and He's going to leave. Uh, he's going to get out of crazy car because it's ran out of crazy gas. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll be all good. <laughs> and he's going to get on a sane bicycle. Well, he's he's taking... <laughs> Bicycles are pretty pretty sane. Yeah, well, had to go somewhere. Uh, now, he says to himself that she's not there. So he knows she's not there. He's well on his way down that uh, in crazy interstate, yep. away from crazy town, as you say. Uh, Rick walks in and just uh, into the prison, and just as Herschel gets up and confronts him, Rick says... 
I can't do it. Uh, and he means I can't turn over Michonne. Yeah. He's changed his mind. Which is, you know, exactly what everybody predicted. Of course. There's I no mean, way he's going to be able to do it. No, 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 no. Of course not. I mean, it's the kind of thing where you think about it and you consider it and you wonder, well, maybe this really is our only shot. And then you decide to do it. And then 10 minutes later, you realize, no, 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 no. This, we, we're not this type of people. We can't do this. Right. Just like Daryl said at the beginning, this ain't us. Um, so where are we now? We go to the tombs under the prison. Merle and Michonne are walking along. And uh, he told her that they're going to barricade the wall breach at the back of the prison to make it harder for people to get in, yep. which makes a lot of sense. They should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> It's but a good then, idea. Well, of course it's a good idea. Like having this giant hole in the wall, especially when there's a crazy governor out there who wants to kill you. Yep. Why have a big hole? Um, some zombies come around a corner. They kill them. And during the fight, Merle knocks out Michonne with his stump to the back of her head. He binds her hands, puts a bag over her head, and drags her away. Good times. Yeah. So he's got other plans. I was a little surprised that he knocked her out while the zombies were still there. I would have waited for her. Like if I was going to knock somebody out with my uh, with my metal club end of my arm, because it's not my hand, uh, I would wait till she killed as many zombies as possible. Um, I, I guess. But, uh, well, yeah, I guess he figured he could handle the zombies because he did have to kill the, them right after he knocked her out. Yeah. Well, he's more proficient than I would be. Oh, really? I'm, I'm sure, yeah. So he's got he's got a knife duct taped to his arm. Yeah. I, I don't. It's it's not his first time at this. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess he wanted to knock her out during the commotion, though, right? If he if they killed all the zombies and then everything calmed down and then he turned around and took a swing at her, she might be more prepared for it. That's true. Right? Very true. I think that's kind of what he was going for. Uh, so we cut to them, Michonne and Merle, walking down the road. Um he tells her what's going on and uh, about, you know, taking her back to, to the governor and so on. And uh, he takes her sword, which, of course, he is carrying now because she's his prisoner and she can't be holding a weapon. And he goes and decapitates a zombie and uh, then remarks that she didn't try to run away. Why would he bring the sword? It's a good weapon. Yeah, but why does he need it? He's got a knife duct taped to his arm. Yeah, that's true. He's never used it before. And and a katana is a, a two-handed weapon, really, isn't it? Generally, Mostly. Yeah. I, I think it's meant to be, but it can be used one-handed. Sure. Well, obviously he does. He cut off that zombie's but face. But why would he bring it? If he's just, if he has no intention of letting her go, I think he has a, uh, his redemption has started here. I think it started before they left the prison. He sort of, in his heart of hearts, knew that he needed to bring that katana. Right. I think you're probably right, even if he didn't quite realize it yet. Like, I think his plan changes uh, later in this episode, um, a little bit. Um, and, and I'll talk about m a little bit more about that when we get to that point. But, yeah, you're right. I think he needed to bring that katana so that he could give it back to her yeah. eventually, even though he didn't might not have thought of that yet. Otherwise, if he had no intention of uh, letting her go and, uh, and just in his heart knew that he was going to bring this uh, bring Michonne to the governor, he doesn't need that katana. He could just leave it. He has uh, he has a pistol. He has his uh, knife taped to his arm. He doesn't need it. No, unless you know, if he was thinking he really was taking her back to the governor, maybe he'd want to bring the and give the sword to him too. I mean, here I brought her and her like defining weapon sort of thing. Yeah, that could be. But I see your point. He doesn't really need to bring it for any reason. He it's he it would almost be smarter to get rid of it. So there's yeah. no chance of her somehow getting it back and taking his head off. It's right? a liability. For it sure. is absolutely. 
Um, But uh, yeah, he remarks that she didn't try to run away, and she smiles and says she wants to get her sword back before she (laughs) before she uh, escapes. (laughs) So so that's why he needed it, so she could have that hilarious line. That's true. (laughs) We uh, go to Rick, and uh, he tells Daryl that the plan is off. That's good, and uh, that he can't find Merle or Michonne. Daryl realizes that Merle took her and goes after him. We go back quickly to Eminem uh, walking down the road. That's Merle and Michonne, in case you're not, not following along. Not uh, <laughs> Michael Marshall, or what's his name? Marshall. Marshall McLuhan, Michael Matt, Michael Marsden. There's a lot of MM people. Um, no, Eminem, the, uh, the rapper. What's oh, his name? I don't know what his actual name is. Now i got to look that up, because it's like Martin Marshall or something like that. Really? All right. Well, Eminem are walking down the road. They stop at a house to see if they can take a car, uh, and Merle admits that he's killed 16 men since the zombie outbreak. Right. That doesn't seem like that many for a guy like Merle. Uh, it, it's a hell of a lot of people. I guess it's a lot of non-zombie kills. He's probably killed many more zombies, but 16 living people since the zombie outbreak. Do you think most of those were at the uh, order of the governor? I think they all were, and that came out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, Marshall Mathers. Marshall is, Mathers. Is Eminem. Okay. Uh, there you go. That's not who's walking down the street. No. It's, well, I was confused there for a second. I'm like, Eminem's walking down the street? What are you, crazy? Merle and Michonne. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he's killed 16 men. We go back to the prison, and Glenn comes to Herschel's cell and tells him that he wants to marry Maggie. Yeah. No, sorry. It was back in the car when he said, uh, Michonne said, how many did you kill? Did you kill anybody before the zombie apocalypse? And he said, no. He said, well, how many did you kill? Uh, did you, you know? Did you start killing after you met the governor? Did you kill anybody before you met the governor? No, which means that everybody he killed was a result of the governor. Okay, yeah, that's in the that's in a scene coming up. In oh, the that's car. not in this scene. It's not in this scene because oh, okay. they haven't gotten in the in a car yet. But um, okay, so he admits that it was all post governor. I didn't pick up on that. I thought it was all after the zombie apocalypse, but not necessarily at the orders of the governor. I think everything was post-governor. All right. Well, I mean, okay. So the governor essentially turned Merle into a murderer. Yes. Murderer. Murderer. Uh, Merle the murderer. That's hard to say. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Minnie the moocher. <laughs> That's easier. <laughs> howdy, howdy, hi. There you go. So, Glenn, he's asking if he can marry Maggie. Yeah. That's exciting. That's really nice that he asked. He, pull, he pulls out the watch that Herschel gave him and admits that he now knows what it means. He didn't know before when uh, Herschel gave it to him. And uh, Herschel gives him his blessing and smiles. There was a lot of smiling in this yeah. episode. It was nice. I thought I think it was nice that it was just a simple, you have my blessing. And that's like, cool, and left. He didn't say cool. He didn't say anything. He just left. No, he just walked off. He's like, yes, I'm going to well, marry that girl. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I think it was nice, too, that they incorporated that watch from season two, sort of as a as a reminder that nobody has a lot of time necessarily on this show. It's true. They could go at any moment. So um, it's 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 nice to see that Glenn still has it, that he values it, and uh, that he's going to marry his uh, love of his life. And wasn't taken away by the governor when he was captured. Yeah, that's a good point. You'd think he'd have it in his pants all the time. So I, he's lucky he got to keep that thing. Yeah, he's very lucky. <laughs> uh, so Eminem now are approaching a building. And he attaches her to a post while he's going to break into a car and hotwire it so they can start driving. Good times. Yes. Um, did you think that—so he had Michonne's hands or wrists bound, 
uh, I think with a part of the phone. I think that's what he took the phone for. He bound the her wire, with, yeah. with the phone wiring. And did you think that that little tiny skinny wire was like the most silliest sort of like lead he could use? It just seems so weak and flimsy. I don't know. I thought it was fine. I mean, you're not going to be able to break that with just sheer brute strength. It's going to cut you before you can break it, apply enough pressure to break it. As we find out in a minute. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose. I thought, I it, thought just, it was fine. I thought it looked kind of dorky just to have this tiny little wire that he was holding on to her with. I don't know. It seemed like it could have been a more robust um, bounding like or binding device. Like big chains? Big thick, at least rope or something, you know? I don't know. But I guess he used what he had. Um, so he hot wires the car, but that sets off the alarm. And of course, car alarms draw walkers from every which way. Yeah, more walkers than uh, people would have come if this was prior to the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. People just hate car alarms. <laughs> yeah, it's like, damn car alarms. What about somebody's trying to hotwire it? Yeah, who cares? It's yeah, annoying. Whatever. It ain't my car. <laughs> Zombies actually pay attention to this stuff. They come running, or not quite running. Shambling. Uh, Michonne is, of course, tied to this pole, so zombies are coming, and she has to fight some off. She knocks down one and stomps the shit out of its head, if I can Very spongy say head. that. Nerf mm. football head. A little bit, but it looked gross. It was gross. It looked pretty good. Uh, Merle comes extremely close to getting bit when a walker comes at him through the car door. And uh, he's, because he's under the dashboard of this car with the alarm going off, he can't hear anything. He doesn't know what's happening. It's a good thing the zombie decided not to just eat leg. Yeah, just take a bite out of his ankle or something. The yeah. zombie tried to like crawl right in on top of him. I which... want to eat his head. <laughs> yeah. If I would have settled for a leg, he'd be dead by now. He'd be dead. I'd have the whole body. That's right. Zombies go for brains maybe though. I don't know. Center mass. Typically. Um, so he almost, yeah, he almost gets bit there. They, uh, he, he doesn't though. He gets out and he takes out that walker. He, uh, frees Michonne. They jump in the car and they get out of there. It's a low rider. Did you notice? Uh, I, yeah, kind of. Low profile tires. It had some big rims on it, though. Yeah, big rims, very uh, skinny actual tires. It was a low rider, which is, at first when I saw this car, I'm like, that car has an alarm? I don't think so. But then I saw the tires, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. It kind of looked like a hunk of junk, except for those wheels. Yeah. So it was was loved. It was a loved car in a a prior life, and apparently the battery's still good after a year of being sitting out uh, through through a winter. But that's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's not like it sat out through a... Toronto winter where it's minus 30 some days. That's true. So batteries survive better in more moderate climate. Um, and it's still full of gas or at least enough gas to get going. So no That's one's, uh, no one siphoned any fuel off of that thing. Uh, but yeah, they got it going. They drive off. <clears throat> we, um, we go to commercial when we come back, they're driving. She's talking to him about, uh, and trying to get under his skin by telling him things like he's not a leader, but just sort of a yes man. He doesn't have any thoughts for, of his own. Um, and uh, people like Rick and the governor just use Merle for crappy jobs. Is, is it just me or is this the most she's ever said in one scene? Oh, it's probably the most lines Michonne has had in one scene. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. She's had more lines than usual in the last little while, but this was her, this was, I think, the most. Yeah. And I thought she did a great job. This was uh, this was a really cool scene. Oh, yeah. Denai Guerrera has been really good in her sort of brooding kind of yeah. attitude. But, but, yeah, this being a different kind of thing yeah. rather than a brooding attitude. But I thought she did a, a fantastic job of this as well. Yep. Yeah, she brings a lot. Um, and she finishes by saying that nobody will mourn Merle, not even his brother, when he's gone. Well, that's not 
Bit but of, she's trying to get under his skin. That's what she's trying to do. Exactly. Trying to piss him off, make him say or do something stupid. Um, we see back at the prison, Glenn comes walking out between some fences. And some walkers are up by the fence. He grabs a hold of one of them and cuts off a couple of her fingers. Yeah. Now, now, what could he be doing, I wonder? Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out. They didn't show uh, the fingers before he cut no, them off, right? they just showed her hand minus two fingers. Right. Uh, ring and little finger. Yeah, which is uh, foreshadowing. I would say so. Um, we go back to Eminem driving. Michonne is still talking about how Merle is mostly a hired killer. I guess this is where they were talking about um, about killing people after he met the governor. This is the scene you were, yeah, you were okay. talking about. Um, so she suggests that they just go back to the prison. We, just, can, we can just go back. Just go back. Everything will be fine. You made a mistake. You know, you're not that smart anyway. <laughs> so we can just go back. People will be okay with it. <laughs> Which is really smart. This was a really smart thing to do. Why is that? Uh, just saying that we can go back, offering him an out mm-hmm. other than what he was uh, trying to do and making it sound perfectly reasonable. It's a, it's a very smart thing to do. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you have to give him... The important thing is I think she's trying to put all these ideas in his head and distract him from whatever he's really doing, you yeah. know, and make him second-guess himself, right? And giving him that opportunity, I suppose, makes sense. We can go back. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh, but Merle says, nope, can't do that. And he cannot go back. And he stops the car and then does something kind of surprising. He cuts her wrist bindings, hands her back her sword, and lets her go. Here you go. And he says he has to do something that he's got to do on his own. Yeah. So was this his plan all along to to go and do what he's about to do? Or... Or do you think he was actually really going to bring her back to the governor at Woodbury and he changed his mind? And we'll get into exactly what he does in a, in a second. But, yeah, uh, I don't think it's cut and dried either way, unfortunately. Um, you know how you decide to do something, but you don't really want to, but you're determined to do it anyway. And then when you go to do it, to actually do it, you're, you're thinking... I don't think I really want to do this, and I never really wanted to do this anyway. Like painting your living room. You think it's a great idea because you'll have a great new fresh paint coat of paint. You go buy the paint. You buy some drop cloths. You buy some paintbrushes. You come back. You set it all up, and then you actually have to paint, and you're like, oh, who wants to do this? Yeah, so, sort of like that. But it's, right. it's something you don't want to do, but you're determined to do it because you think you have to do it, and... Uh, you know, in the case of, of Merle, he feels that he's, you know, he was, when he was talking to Rick and when he was talking to Daryl, he's saying, you guys, you need a bad guy. You, you know, you, people like you need people like me. Mm-hmm. I'm the bad guy and you need me to do these bad guy things. So he feels that he's the bad guy. Right. And this is the bad guy thing. So this is what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't really want to. So he brings the sword and he goes on this journey and he comes to realization, no, I don't actually want to do this. I don't want to be the bad guy. And Michonne actually points that out. You know, you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Real bad guys, they're light as a feather. They don't care. Yeah. You you care. Therefore, you're not a bad guy. And I think that tips him over the edge where he's just like, well, I guess I got to do the good guy thing. He might be a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. Right. As, watch uh, Wreck-It Ralph? I, I, re- I recently watched Wreck-It Ralph, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I recently watched the first 20 minutes of that. It's, uh, I liked it. It was a good movie. My, I, I fell asleep. My kids like it, too. Um, so, yeah, he lets her go, and we go to commercial. When we come back, we see 
Daryl um, approaching a severed zombie head, and suddenly a katana comes down right through it. Oh my god, a katana. Who could that be? Who could that be? Daryl asks, this was a cool shot, though. It's like we see the camera's down by the zombie head on the ground, and we see Daryl walking up in the distance, and then the, the katana right in front of the camera. It was... It was staged well, you know, even though there's no surprises here, but it well, was Was Daryl cool. surprised? Did he uh, look surprised? Well, no. I No, I don't think so. I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm just remember. wondering if Michonne has that zombie stealth thing going on for her now where you can't see them until right at the last second because they're behind the camera. Yeah, that's right. She's got the cloaking device. I just I forget if Daryl was surprised at that katana. No, I think the way it was staged is you could you could you understood that he could see her walking up. And, uh, you know, he watched her take out that zombie head, okay. and he knew exactly what was going on. Um, and uh, what is... Uh, she asks if she killed Merle. He asks if she killed Merle. And she says no, and he goes after him, yeah. pretty much. And I think he said something about, don't let anyone follow me. Didn't he? It's something about that. Yeah, don't let anyone follow me. I'm going to go and do this on my own. Um, he probably figures that he's in for you know, something bad here. Like he's actually going to have to go to Woodbury and try to get Merle back or something, you know? It could so be. don't or, let anyone else come because I'm going to be in danger. And if I die, no reason for anyone else to die too. Or he knows Merle and knows that he's going to do something stupid and self-destructive and he wants to go stop him. Yeah, but why wouldn't he want help with that? Maybe he just wants to look out for his brother. It's his brother. He's, yeah. You know, it's, it's just been two of them against the world for so long that uh, that's how he feels. Is You know, if it's my brother's doing something, it's up to me to either help him or stop him. Yeah, they both kind of have that attitude towards each other a little bit, I think. Yeah. You know, at some times it seems it feels like a little less, but but they they they've always been together, right? And it's always just been the two of them sort of surviving. So, at least before, you know, they separated and Rick and Daryl joined up with Rick and everybody. Yeah, but. there was some kind of a TV show between then and now. I you know, a few episodes here and there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just mean before all no, this Oh, I know stuff, what you mean. Throughout I, their whole life. <laughs> uh, but we got to Merle. He's in his car still, and he's got some loud music playing. And he's drinking. And he's drinking. He seemed to have gotten some bourbon or something. Yeah, he has a big bottle of whiskey. I'm glad he didn't have to resort to vodka, because he said earlier, I'll even drink vodka. Yeah, that's he's right. So He wants to drink so badly, <laughs> I'll even resort to drinking vodka. Yeah, nobody likes vodka. I mean, come on. So uh, luckily, I'm, I'm glad that he didn't have to resort to drinking vodka. Nope. Uh, he shared a little with the, the zombie <laughs> that outside. That was awesome. <laughs> that was funny. I like I like how he did that and then just laughed. He's <laughs> like, I don't even care anymore. Yeah, drink or drink this. You guys don't frighten me at all. Yeah. In fact, here have a drink <laughs> uh so he's playing loud music i think it was motorhead but i'm not 100 sure about that i didn't recognize it but i uh motorhead uh, wouldn't surprise me there you go um he's and what he's doing is he's attracting zombies to the car and then slowly moving forward leading them somewhere like uh like my friends used to do the pied piper is that what it's called i think so yeah well the pied piper but you ever do that when your you, your friends say come on get in you walk up and they drive away four feet you oh. chase them down and they drive away four feet. Yes, that whole thing. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing, just with zombies. You're teasing zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm right here. It doesn't I'm seem right so here. mean when they're undead, though. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem so mean with your friends either, though. That sounds funny. Well, it depends on uh, perspective. It's all a matter of your frame of reference. If you're in the car, it's funny. If you're not in the car, it's annoying as hell. That's right. Oh, almost got it that time. That's right. <laughs> uh, so he's leading the zombies, and he's picking up more as he goes. Uh, what happens? So he gets to the um, summit location from a couple episodes back. 
we know because we see those big farming towers again. Yeah. Whatever they were for. And uh, he pulls up to to there. He jumps out of the car and he runs and takes shelter in a building because, of course, there's lots of zombies around. They've he, all followed him there. He rolls out of the car. Oh, that's right. He rolls out and lets the car keep going. I'm surprised bit. how uh, light on his feet he was after presumably drinking that whole bottle and maybe another one because uh, that starting and stopping and Pied Pipering those zombies all the way to that location probably took a long time. Yeah, so it prob- he's probably it, friggin' hammered by this time. Well, there's no evidence that he drank the whole bottle. No, but I just assumed that if he was drinking and laughing and he seemed drunk right at the beginning, that <laughs> after a while he would be drunker and uh, and then you know he jumps out of the car, does a roll, gets up and runs. You know, if personally, if I had a beer and I did that, I would have ended up on my tea kettle, lying on the ground for and laughing and giggling for a few minutes, and then got up and stumbled my way off to wherever. Yeah, but Merle and you are not this, at the same level of drinking ability. No, that's why I said beer, and I attribute to him a whole bottle of whatever, plus right. a little bit more, maybe. You know, it's like his um, stump knife weapon yeah. is kind of like a lightsaber. Like, if lightsabers existed for real, people would be cutting their own legs off left, right, right, and center you gotta all the time. you got to be a Jedi to use them, though. You okay. can't just pick up a lightsaber and start swinging it around. That's fine. Well, you could, and you'd cut yourself in half. No, right? but you need the force to do it. Uh, Somebody who's doesn't is not Han, strong in the force. Han Solo Han is strong in the force. Come on, Han is. I uh, no. He, yeah. Okay. He's how many times did he use a lightsaber? Once to cut open the tauntaun, tauntaun. and any, that was it. Any other time? I don't think so. Okay, so he used it as a as a cutting tool. He's strong in the force. He's got. He's a very lucky man. Okay. Right? He's he won the lucky. Millennium Falcon in a. Game of chance for crying out loud. I get that he's lucky, but he's not he's not a he's I don't think Han is strong in the force. I think Han is strong. He's in not the force. from a force using family. No, he's not, but you can be strong in the force without being from a force using family. Look at Anakin. He wasn't from a force using family. Yes, he was. Says who? His Who's An- his father? Anakin's father. Yeah. Well, we don't want to spoil that, do we? <laughs> <laughs> uh not Anakin's father. Yeah, Anakin's father. Anakin's fo- we, we, don't we don't know, know. Who Anakin's exactly is. he's not strong in the fo- anyway we're getting off on a bit of a tangent here he clearly is though because he he uh he becomes one of the strongest jedis in the yes universe. he is but i'm saying you don't have to be from a force a strong uh, family strong in the force in order to be strong in the force we need friend of the show dave here he's yeah. the local resident star wars anyway, expert I, I think han has force abilities my point was, way back a long time ago, is that the stump weapon would be like a lightsaber because you'd eventually just stab yourself with it or cut your leg or something like that. And rolling out of a car drunk is a really good way to land on your stump knife and stab yourself through the stomach. Or at least, you know, stab yourself through the thigh. It'd be a lot easier. To well, th- whatever, somewhere. Whatever. Cut off a toe, you something. Could, you could do it, yeah. He man- Merle manages to roll out of this car with the best of them. He's also strong in the force. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he, he gets up and he runs into a building, uh, takes shelter in a building. Now Martinez and a bunch of the governor's men are here. They hear the music too. So they come to investigate and they find all the zombies. They start shooting them. A big firefight breaks out because they're trying to clear the zombies out. And, uh, Merle's in the building and he starts with his, with his assault rifle and he starts picking off the governor's men from inside the building. It's a great idea. It really is a good idea. It's nice that he waited till they started shooting because it's just, you know, more shots. It's just more gunfire. That's yeah. right. Uh, now, it all would have sort of backfired on him if he'd pulled up and they saw him coming up really, really slowly, leading zombies to them. They yeah. probably could have dealt with it, but 
Uh, luckily, they did not. So he's killing the governor's men. And uh, just as he's lining up a shot on the governor, stupid Ben walks into the front of the shot and gets killed. Yep. So Mr. Governor's a pretty lucky guy. He is. And that, I, uh, anyway, that shot probably would have been a through and through and gone through the uh, Ben's shoulder and into the governor. Yeah. If you also notice, too, we see the shot through the scope of Merle's rifle, and we see the crosshairs. And the crosshairs are not really on Ben when his head explodes with blood and he falls down. So it was just a little bit of weird timing right was there. Was it before or after? It was before. Ben was walking towards the crossover, crosshairs. Shot happens. He explodes and falls down. <laughs> well, I mean, there's... Could it account for bullet time, like the amount of time it took for the bullet to get from where uh, Merle was to where? I think I am going to chalk it up to just inaccurate scope a little bit. Like the scope and the gun were not perfectly aligned. Right. Well, I got, you got lucky then, I guess. <laughs> not Ben didn't get lucky. Not Ben, but uh, Merle. <laughs> Merle and the governor got lucky, I Yeah, would say. well, that's because Merle and the governor are strong in the force. In the force. Fine. We've got too many Star Wars references here. Uh, too many this week. Actually, it's been like three or four weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know this show was so heavily related to Star Wars. Everything is related to Star Wars. I suppose that's true. But, uh, so Ben. Ben goes down. Ben is dead. Yeah. That's it. That's it for Ben. Barely had a line. Yep. Now he's dead. See you, Ben. Yep. Uh, Merle um, gets pulled out of the... Merle ends up fighting a zombie, and he crashes out of the door... <laughs> of this uh, building that he's in, at which time, of course, the governor's men see him, start kicking him, and the governor picks him up, and they end up fighting hand-to-hand back into the building. They crash back into there. I don't want to be out here. No, I don't want to be out here. So Merle sort of takes the worst of this beating. The governor overpowers him. And uh, I've got an email from Connie in Connecticut here. This was her holy crap moment, but I want to read it right now. She says, Did you see how Walker-like the governor looked chomping off chomping off Merle's fingers. Do you know how much fury he must have had to bite down through bone like that so quickly? Ouch. So yes, uh, the governor bites off Merle's fingers when he gets his hand up on his mouth. Same two fingers that Glenn cut off of that lady. Same two fingers. Interesting. That was the foreshadowing I was uh, referring to. There you go. So we've got a zombie losing fingers. We've got the governor biting off fingers. Um, but as I said, Merle takes the worst of this fight, and eventually the governor has him subdued. And Merle says, I ain't gonna beg. And the governor says, nope, and shoots him. So now Merle's dead, too. Or he too. pulls the trigger. Pulls the trigger. We when... don't see the, him actually hitting Merle. Yeah, but we do know that he's basically standing right in front of him. Yes. And he points the gun, and uh, he says, nope, you're not gonna beg. Not gonna give you time. Well, I didn't count out Merle yet, right? Unless you actually shoot him and see the shot and see him dead. I, I did not consider Merle dead. Okay. I suppose I could uh, see that. It's soap opera stuff. You're not dead until you're dead, warm, and buried. Cold and buried. Oh, no, because you're not dead until you're warm and dead. If you freeze to death and you warm up, you could probably, there's a chance that you might survive. Okay. Whatever you say. Kids that go underwater and freeze and drown, uh-huh. they warm them up. Sometimes they come back to life. Okay. So you're not, uh, I think it's an adage, you're not dead until you're warm and dead, if you started Got it. cold. Got it, if you started cold, okay. Yeah. I understand. Uh, we take the shot, go to commercial, come back, and uh, we are with, um, we're with Glenn and Maggie in the prison yard. 
Uh, Glenn comes up to her and he makes the most awkward wedding proposal ever, <laughs> pretty much. He doesn't even really ask her to marry him. She just sort of he just sort of hands her the ring and she says, I she says yes. <laughs> That's she, nice. She accepts. It was good. They go into Was your proposal less awkward? Um slightly, not a lot. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> well, there you go. I guess it's a hard thing to do. You know what my wife's answer to me was the first words out of her mouth when I uh, showed her the ring and asked her to marry me? I'm hungry. Nope. Where's the bathroom? Nope. What's your favorite color? Nope. Yes or no? No, it was, seriously? (laughs) That was my next guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't, this is not a joke. I'm not going to give you a ring and joke about it. That'd be really cruel, wouldn't it? What? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Will you marry me, honey? What's your favorite color? (laughs) Well, would have been bad. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, it worked out for you. Yeah, and it and, looks and like for it's, Glenn too. It looks like it's going to work out for Glenn and Maggie. Uh, now they walk in in the sort of inner gate area, and Rick is about to give a speech, and he tells them all about the deal for Michonne, that he was going to do it, but he changed his mind, and he apologizes for not telling them sooner, and uh, he 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 tells them that everything he said a year ago in the forest about this not being a democracy, he was wrong. This is now a total democracy, and they're going to vote on everything. If they want to leave, if they want to stay, it's everybody's decision. They're all a big family now. That's nice. And he says, uh, yeah, he says, we can stay and fight, or we can go. And then he walks off, and this scene was a little bit weird to me, because to me it sounded like he was saying, okay, let's vote on whether we're going to stay or whether we're going to go. And then he just leaves. Yeah, we're going to vote on whether to stay or go. I'll be over there. I'll see you later. You guys, <laughs> let me know how the vote goes, and uh, we'll we'll do yeah, whatever we it think. It seemed is best. a little weird. It, it was weird. Uh, the other thing, though, is that I thought this was a really good scene. Um, this scene reminded me of comic book Rick for some reason more than almost anything else I've seen on this this TV show. You think so? Yeah. Um, it's this is. Slightly spoilery for the comic, not really, but I, it's, I think it's worth bringing up. It just re- references a line in the comic and some, a sort of a theme that runs through the comic and the TV show. And at one point in the comic, Rick says to the group um, that we are the Walking Dead. Yes. He refers to the living people as the Walking Dead, not the zombies. And that's kind of, you can kind of feel that in the TV show a little bit too. Um, and this speech reminded me of that part of the comic. One of the things he said is, we are the greater good. So I'm wondering if that line is kind of like the TV show version of the comics, We Are the Walking Dead line. That could be. I liked it. It 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 uh, it worked for me. I thought it was really, really well delivered. And In the comic, know. we had a kind of an overview epic shot, right? It was a two-page shot at the end of one of the issues where he said that, right? Of him delivering that line. Of delivering yeah. that line. We didn't get that with this line. Uh, we got we panned back a little bit afterwards when he was walking away, but uh, I don't think we got that epic kind of... Well, it wasn't like a huge, big, you know, double-spread TV shot or, or, you know, focus upon his face or anything, but I felt like they emphasized it enough, you know? We are the greater good. You think so? He said, yeah. I think that might have been... You know, we we still may get the the We Are the Walking Dead scene in the TV show. I don't know, but this kind of felt like the same kind of vibe to me, and I I really I liked it. I don't think we're going to get that line. No, I don't think we'll ever get that line. It just doesn't feel. If we do ever get that line, it won't be this season, that's for sure, and it might be later on. But I, it just nothing feels like they'll they'll come to that conclusion 
anytime soon. Well, but I already feel like it's kind of a theme of the show a little bit, you know, like the humans are more dangerous and, and so on. Um, I, I was thinking that if we do get to something like that, it could be very soon in the TV show, maybe even this season. And then they did this, and I thought, oh, maybe this is what they're doing instead. They don't want to be exactly the same as the comic. We have Rick delivering a speech, you know, talking to his people and and giving a good one-liner. I, I just don't think we have enough. Uh, we have anger and fear, but I don't think we have desolation and despair enough for that line. That's, that's I think, what I'm, what I'm getting Okay. At. So we've got a road to travel yet before we get there. Yes. I think we need a lot more despair. At the beginning of the season, I think we totally could have seen it. But now that we have the the conflict with the governor and their uh, in their group, uh, I don't think we have the right circumstances for that line. All right. Well, we will see. Rick leaves though, and he goes up to the prison tower, I guess, and he's looking around, and then he sees Michonne walking back out of the woods. Oh, there she is. He's like, "Huh, wonder what happened out there." <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. We cut to Daryl. He's arriving at the summit location. The firefight is now over, and everybody's left, so he's taking a little while to get there. He comes up on a zombie eating Ben's body. Poor Ben. He got shot and, by accident, sort of, and he's getting eaten now. Yeah. And the zombie looks up, and it is zombie Merle. Yes. So he was shot in the chest, just like the governor to shoot him in the chest and then leave him. That's and, true. And not shoot him in the head. Son of a bitch. Totally. <laughs> uh, it's zombie Merle. So Merle's done. Daryl's obviously upset about this. He tears up a little bit, uh, but Zombie Merle is coming at him. So after several times pushing him away, he finally sort of gets up the gumption to knock him down and stab him repeatedly in the face. I think I think it was nice that uh, they showed Daryl expending his uh, crossbow round before seeing Merle. Like he shot a zombie in the head. Yep. Before that, he didn't have a chance to reload. So when Merle was uh, coming at him, he didn't have his crossbow ready to go to to take him out. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was really well well done in that they had him you know not have not be able to use the crossbow. Yeah, they took away his his primary killing method so that it would have to be more sort of up close and personal. Up close, that's what I was going to say is that it's not killing at a distance. It's got to be personal. It's got to be up close. And- well, there's nothing more Messy. personal, really, than having to stab your brother in the face multiple times. Oh, yeah, he did. A, that was awesome. <laughs> Gross, but uh, I thought it was really, really well done. I thought the dummy, like the dummy zombie Merle, looked really good. It did. It would look fantastic. Looked like, just like him. And this was directed by Greg Nicotero, too, so that was, yeah. uh, it was a damn fine episode, Greg. It, yeah, very, very well done. And uh, both, I mean, you know, Merle was in this episode a lot. He was. It was his episode. You know what that means, usually. Yep. Um, he did a great job. Daryl, too. Great job in this final scene, you know. This was a bit of a Dixon Brother episode when you when you get right down to yep. it. Other stuff happened, too. But um, I think I almost liked this, this uh, scene better than the scene where Rick finds out that Laurie didn't survive and he falls to the ground. I think yeah. uh, I think Norman Reedus did as good, maybe even a better job. Oh, he yeah, it was Norman Reedus was fantastic in this whole episode. I thought he was great. Yeah, an extremely emotional moment for the characters. It seems like we get one of those every you know five or six episodes when somebody dies or you know becomes a zombie that is very close to somebody who is still alive. We get one of these things. Do you think we'll ever get tired of this kind of thing? And they'll need to mix it up a little bit. 
No, not yet. No, not We've yet. We've had three or four of these, and it's, they've all been good. So yeah. keep them coming. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I'm not I'm not tired of them. That's for sure. And they seem to just be getting better and better all the time. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. It's very cool. But no more uh, no more Merle. Merle he's, is uh, gone. He's gone. Um, you know that's that's okay. It's it's funny how. Uh, I don't know. It's sometimes when you lose a character, you sort of wish, oh, I want, I wish there was more to it. Kind of felt that way with T Dog. Just when they were starting to do something with him, they kill him off. Merle had his run this year. I think he was a prominent part of this whole season. Um, and uh, you know, it's not like, you know, I said they, they he was in this episode a lot, but he played a he played an important role in this whole season, and I think he got his due. And uh, in a strange, weird way, it was kind of satisfying to see him go out of the show like this and move on. And I wasn't, uh, I was sad a little bit for Daryl mostly, not so much for Merle. (laughs) Well, I kind of agree with you with that last part. I would have liked to have seen more. As soon as I knew that Merle, uh, this was his redemption episode where he let Michonne go and he was uh, going to do something to help out the group, no doubt. I knew he was a dead man from that point forward. I'm like, yeah, he can't survive the episode, which is unfortunate because it's his redemption. We're starting to like him, but that's the kiss of death. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's how they, they treat us viewers. You know, they, they... You go a whole season where you, they train us to hate a guy, and then it's kind of amazing that in one episode they can reverse all of that and just get you to the point where you're like, oh, he's not so bad, and then stab him in the face multiple times. Yeah, well. Those yeah. TV guys, they know what they're doing. They, know, they do know what they're doing. They so. know how to write a redemption story slash death. Slash death, that's right. So overall, pretty awesome episode. It's the second last one before the end of season three. Um, I have a feeling that next week's episode is going to be a, a different feel than the last few we've had. You think so? Yeah, I think, think there's going to be a car chase. There's probably going to be a car chase. Maybe a lot of big explosions, some wild animals. Like we had a big fire last season in the final episode. Yeah. So there could. There's no reason we couldn't have an explosion. Uh, well, there's yeah. There's going to be some kind of explosion. Those grain silos at the uh, the wherever they were, if they're full of uh, grain, that's uh, that's highly combustible. Grain? Grain. Oh, it'll like burn, in, yeah. in the air. You put that sucker in the air and you light it on fire, it's just going to blow up. It's going to be a big, huge fireball. They that, should do that. Uh, they should. Totally do that. Oh, a uh, friend of the Dave, uh, he just uh, <laughs> messaged me. He says, hi to, say hi to the Talking Dead fans for me. So oh. Dave says hi. Hi, everyone. everybody. You said friend of the Dave. I said friend of the Dave? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you and I are friend of the Dave. Yeah. Dave is friend of the show, Dave. There you go. Sorry. Hello, everybody. Hello. Alrighty, so that's our recap of uh, this episode. It was called This Sorrowful Life. Uh, I think that was probably a reference to Merle's whole life, pretty much. Um, but there you go. Let us know what you thought about it by giving us a call at uh, 1-866-483-ZOMB or sending us email at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear whether you sort of agree or disagree on our take of the episode. Yeah. And speaking of taking things, we are going to take a quick break before we come back with more listener feedback about this very episode. And uh, then after that, of course, a bunch of holy crap moments. So thanks for listening. Don't go anywhere.
For you, the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial, so you have the chance to check out their service. Now, Jason, normally this is the point at the program where I ask you for a book recommendation. I'm not going to do it. Nope, not this week. Nope. And that is because Allison from Indianapolis sent in an email with three books that she wants to recommend for everyone. Three. Three different books. Wow. The first one is called Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry. She says it's a different view on the beginning of a zombie apocalypse. And it's performed by Ray Porter, a phenomenal narrator. Oh, Patient Zero. Let me check that out. Patient Zero. She also wants to recommend Rot and Ruin by the same author. She says this is a young adult book that she really enjoyed, and it takes place 14 years after, quote, first night, and describes life after the outbreak. 14 years, that's cool. So, two books here, same author. Um, One, a different view in the beginning of the zombie apocalypse, and the other one, 14 years later, when, you know, I guess some semblance of life has resumed, and uh, people are still trying to survive, I imagine. So, interesting idea here. Finally, she wants to recommend Suspect by Robert Cray, C-R-A-I-S. She says it's a great story about a guy and a dog. And <laughs> to be honest with you, there are, um, you know, stories about man and his pet are some of the best out there, I think. I think so, too. Is this a zombie apocalypse man and his dog or just a guy and his dog? That and I, happy good times they have. She does not specify. It's called Suspect. And uh, I don't know if it's a zombie apocalypse man and dog story. Or maybe it's a murder mystery where the dog solves the mystery. Ooh, now now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to check out Detective Dogs. So there you go. Thank you, Allison from Indianapolis, for sending in those fine, fine recommendations. I will definitely be checking out some of them myself. If you want to check them out, head over to Audible. Uh, but don't go to Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. Uh, audibletrial.com slash talking dead that will then forward you over to audible and uh, we get a small cut of that sign up if you sign up for a free audiobook and a free trial so audibletrial.com slash talking dead for a free audiobook Listener feedback. That's right. It's a little time for a little bit more listener feedback. This email comes from Jason in Missouri. He says, I've been thinking about Andrea. The only time I really think she exhibits any strength and intelligence is under pressure. And that seems to be a pretty consistent theme since Shane taught her that uh, taught her that during target practice. Before that, she was just a scared woman in an RV bathroom. This email is not about this episode. (laughs) All that set up, and I didn't move this email. Format fail. Well, we said we were trying it out, right? Yes. It's just me with poor cutting and pasting skills. Anyways, interesting email. I think it is a very uh, good point that Andrea only performs under pressure, and uh, she's learned this throughout 
the run of this TV show. Yeah. Shame. It's a, it, it's a do, do what needs to be done kind of attitude. Unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, you do what needs to be done, but unless it absolutely needs to be done, it does not get done. Right. <laughs> that's how you live your life, that's, I think. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's how I live my life. I'm a do-what-needs-to-be-done kind of guy. There you go. And therefore, unless it needs to be done, it don't get done. All right. Well, thank you, Jason from Missouri. Good email, even though I put it in the wrong section. I'm new to this. That's okay. We'll get there. It's only been 109 episodes, man. You right, think I know? Let's not belabor the point. We'll just move on. Shannon from the internet writes: I thought it was really interesting that Rick's vision of Lori is no longer uh, pristine wedding dress Lori, but disheveled post-apocalyptic Lori. It seems like before his visions were all reminders of his failures. There was Shane and the phone calls from those he couldn't protect, making him recount all of the ugly things he'd done. And then Lori, who was not only who he was not only unable to protect but also had given birth to a baby that may or may not even be his. All this had turned him into an incredibly cold and ruthless person. It felt to me like the new vision of Laurie was the end of a journey back to the same semblance of sanity that began when he found Morgan. Uh, Like he finally remembered who he'd been at the beginning of all this and realized what he was turning into. So as you said, he's leaving Crazy Town and about to take the crazy exit and get on the same bicycle. Yeah, he's on the crazy interstate. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Shannon. I got the feeling the scene of Lori in her prison garb and pregnant up on the bridge was probably not shot for this episode, but uh, but a cutting room floor shot from a previous episode that they decided would work really well at this moment. So you think at the beginning of the episode, they should have put in a banner that says, contains 98% new footage. That's right. (laughs) Well, it's new because it wasn't used before. That's true. You know, contains 98% newly filmed footage, maybe. Uh, Um, You know, I don't know. Maybe Lori, uh, I mean, um, Sarah Wayne Callies came back to shoot that one scene, just stand there, get all made up, and put the... the, uh, clothes on and so on she came back to do the wedding dress stuff so you know maybe they they knew at the time and they shot this at the same time but i just watching it was wondering to myself i bet you that's an old shot that they didn't use but it works here so yeah could be neither here nor there well let's uh let's hear it for the editors to go back and reuse footage uh appropriately and properly there you go it's their job yeah no and i i credit them for it it's uh, good work they do it well uh, Chris from the UK writes, uh, they made me care when a character I have previously despised gets killed. First Laurie, now Merle. I'm really worried the eventual death of the governor will be heartbreaking rather than viscerally satisfying. Do you think it is possible that they could make us love the governor in his final moments? If he dies, we don't know if he's going to die, but if they go that route, could they make us love him in his final moments before he dies, and therefore we see him as a terribly tragic character. I think it's possible. I don't think they will. No. You think they'll go for the big fanfare moment of this super evil guy going down in a ball of flames, and we all cheer and have parties? Oh, I don't think they'll do that either. <laughs> That's the thing. This show is not a happy-go-lucky show. We do not get—not uh, everybody gets their just desserts. Uh, I don't think he's going to get his comeuppance, but I don't think we, we're going to like him by the time he dies. Yeah. I think they're going to do something, uh, I don't want to say in between, but I just I don't think it's going to be on either of those ends of, the, ends of the lollipop. The thing is, you know, the reason I think they do this is because every character is multidimensional and every character has 
you know, different aspects about them, good and bad, likable and not likable. That's why it works with Merle, um, you know, and it, it worked with other characters that have died. Laurie, for example. A lot of people were hating on Laurie, so on. Uh, the governor is a little bit different, though. You're not really supposed to like him. You're not necessarily supposed to see the good in him, are you? No, but I think they spent the first half of the season giving us the uh, the benevolent leader. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think we like him, but I think we understand him. Uh, I think the beginning part of the season, we thought his motives were, uh, you know, keep the community together, do what you need to do in order to have some semblance of society. But now we're seeing him for uh, wanting power for power's sake. And, uh, you know, where he says getting back, getting Michonne into that room is all that matters. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that's a change of character. I think that's us finally seeing his character. It's more of a reveal. It's been more of a slow burn with the governor, right? Yeah. You know, we've seen his ups and downs throughout the season, and I guess people have to make their own kind of judgment on him. Yeah. But I, you know, I, and I, I don't see if if uh, if we like him by the end, it's kind of a reversal of that slow burn. Like we've come down a journey with the governor, and I don't think we're going to reverse it between you know in the last episode. I think it's not going to be reversed, but I don't think it's going to be that visceral, visceral kind of yeah right. thing at the end of it either. I think it's going to be something different than those. I think it probably will be. I mean, it's going to be if I had to take a shot, it's. It's probably going to be a slightly more ambiguous scene where people are going to come to different conclusions about their general feelings about the governor and, you know, how what he did, how he did it, and the circumstances around his ultimate demise. If he dies, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll survive. He might profess his love for Andrea. There you go. I, I, I don't think that's a redemption, though. I think that's just going to be a, uh, a layer of complexity. You yeah. know, like, why did you go and make me do this to you? I loved you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of sort of see, half see that happening, mm-hmm. but I definitely don't think we'll get a redemption. No, that's for sure. In in next week's season finale, I mean, I I imagine we're going to get scenes between him and her in the torture room. We didn't see that at all this episode, of course. But uh, the, the, who knows what the torture is going to consist of next week, if it consists of torture at all. It'll be disappointing if she somehow escapes and just runs away and nothing comes of it. But I have a feeling it might be a little bit more dialogue between the characters and less gratuitous torture right but we will see although the gratuitous torture may be implied so we'll find well, out she might be incredible like she was beat up the last time we saw her but i think it it could be worse uh the next time we see her implying that she spent a couple of days uh, you know having his complete attention right <laughs> and not a way you want <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, thanks to those people who wrote in. By all means, send in more feedback throughout the week, and we will uh, get to it in next week's podcast. All righty, time to do this. Holy crap. Did you see that? Did you see that? Uh, From Facebook, this is spoilery. Uh, Sorry, I didn't write down the name of the person on Facebook. So if you're out there, I apologize. This is spoilery for the comic book a little bit. Um, So if you don't want to get spoiled of the comic, uh, a scene in the comic, then uh, jump ahead, I don't know, 30 seconds. But uh, this person writes, When the governor was testing the chain shackles he has prepared for Michonne, this is obviously from the last episode, 
He's talking about the uh, rings on the chains. Yep. His pose is almost identical to Michonne's when she is shackled in the comic. Interesting parallel there, I that thought. That is. That is. I had considered that, but that is interesting. Yep. Looks good. Keith from the internet sent us an email, and he said, Merle! Fucking Merle! That's it. <laughs> Holy crap. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Nice. Nice big letters. <laughs> Uh, this is a call we got from Cindy in Nashville. Hey guys, this is Cindy. Um, I'm in Nashville and I am at Cindy's Rock on Twitter and it's my first time calling into you guys and, um, I'm really excited about it. So I have a couple of We're excited holy crap, too. did you see and or hear that. So, um, my holy crap, did you hear that? I have two of those. One is Merle acknowledged Rick coming back for him on the roof when he was talking to Michonne, which I thought was awesome. Um, but my favorite, holy crap, did you hear that, is when Daryl turned around and told Rick, your family too. Um, just made me want to cry. My holy crap, did you see that, where, ah, Merle's fingers got bit off by the governor. Like, holy crap, that was so gross. And then at the very end, holy crap, did you see that Merle was eating Ben um, Alan's son Ben when Daryl found him and why did Alan leave Ben there on the ground I mean really is he that wrapped up in the governor that the governor was like just leave him and let's go and he left that was his son seriously he left him there to be eaten by zombies anyway holy crap did you see that interesting point yeah you don't I mean just leave the poor guy there I know he was shot and he was dead but I'm telling you holy crap Was uh, Alan is heartless man was Alan there did we see Alan I'm pretty sure we saw Alan. I think Alan was one of the guys that kicks Merle a couple times before the governor picks him up and fights him in back oh, okay. into the building. Maybe he was so distraught that he was, uh, you know, completely inconsolable and not in his right mind, and somebody just put him in a car. Yeah, get him out of here. And by the time he realized that they left him behind, he was already back at uh, Woodbury. Yeah, maybe. That's the only explanation, because, yeah, why would he leave him there? Yeah. You know, bury him for crying out loud. Take him back. Give him a proper ceremony or something. All right, friend of the show, Dave, sent us an email uh, with his holy crap. He he says, when Merle lets Michonne out of the car, there's a shot of them seen looking straight at the front of the car. On the road, the car is stopped at the point of the two-lane highway where, from Merle's direction, the lines change from being a passing lane, so a broken line, to a non-passing lane, a solid line. I thought, considering the events after that, it was pretty clever. Now, I'm not the most clever guy in the world, Jason, I'm not sure I understand Dave's uh, uh, symbolism here. Right. So can you explain it to me? I can try. I only have one take on it, and right. it uh, has to do with uh, before that point. Like, that's this is his redemption point, right? This is where he decides to let Michonne out of the car, gives her back her sword, says, you go back, I got to do a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only thing I can think of is before this point, uh, Merle is kind of uh, sketchy and unreliable, the broken line. And after this, he's uh, he's he's solid. He's got the he's uh, redeemed, and he's going to do something to help out uh, his brother and the group. And he's from this point forward on the solid line. I like it. Let's see. It's he's yeah. a broken man, and he becomes a whole man, a solid man, as he drives to his death. Or, you know, after this point, he doesn't pass anybody, whereas before he passed whoever he needed. Mm, yeah, that could could have been that, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. He was a broken man, and now he's not a broken man? Yeah. I think that, that, that totally works. It's yeah. a broken line and a solid line. Yeah, okay. 
Mark from Montreal says, My holy crap moment was when the governor put on his dark jacket with the long sleeves, and we see the transition from TV governor to comic governor. That sent chills down my spine because we know how maniacal that character is, which is totally awesome. It is. Previous episode puts on a long sleeve uh, jacket. Grows his hair out really long. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people speculated that it seemed like in last week's episode, he was holding that jacket shut, hiding something. And a lot of people thought maybe he was bitten in that zombie fight that Andrea released on him, and he just didn't want anyone to see it. It doesn't seem to be the case this week, because he was back to his normal clothes and doesn't seem to have any zombie bites. That's true. Uh, James from Pittsburgh writes, as Merle was talking to Michonne, I instantly thought... Uh, we would be saying goodbye to the new redneck Pied Piper. Yeah, see, he's the Pied Piper. <laughs> right. <laughs> who, who would have thought it would happen so soon? Sad to see Michael Rooker off the show. It is. Yeah, that actually I was the most sad about that, is that Michael Rooker wouldn't be on the show anymore, and I would miss him. Yeah. Crystal from Quenel, B.C., uh, a place I've never heard of. No. So, and she even told me how to pronounce it. It's spelled Q-U-E-S-N-E-L, but the S is silent, Quenel. Interesting. Interesting place. I wonder where that is. I don't know. I'm going to look it up. British Columbia. Uh, Merle's use of Rick's phone for securing Michonne's hands when he takes her away. I thought he was cracking up when he put it in his bug out bag, then to see her fingers through the rotary dial. Oh, did he have the dial like through the fingers somehow to keep her bound? I didn't catch that. Oh, that's that. what that was. I, I wasn't sure. Interesting use of a phone dial, though. It is. You don't get rotary dials that much anymore. No. Thank you, Crystal. He knows how to use them when he does get a hold of one. That's right. Uh, Kristen. Kristen. We had Crystal. Now Kristen. From Christ, Kristen. <laughs> Kristen. Kristen. <laughs> from Northern California. Uh, she sent in lots. Here are a couple. Merle picking off the governor's men, showing that he has now chosen his side. As you were saying, he went from being a broken man to a solid man he's on he's on a side now yep and the walker glenn cut the fingers off for the diamond ring he gives to maggie i hope he cleaned it really well yeah i don't think we mentioned that in the recap that he cut off those fingers because there was an engagement ring on one of them and he needed one to give to maggie did you see the size of the diamond oh, it was a fancy it was diamond. a huge diamond and that walker I, maybe that she hasn't been a walker that long but if she's been a walker a long time you'd think it would have fallen off by now that's the same reason their pants stay up. <laughs> I guess so. If their pants can stay up, their <laughs> rings can stay on. Oh, why not? Logic works for me. I'm with it. <laughs> uh, Jason from Missouri writes, My holy crap moment was when Daryl repeatedly stabbed Merle's face after killing zombie him. A callback to Carol's pickaxing her husband's face in season one, an event he was watching from behind. Interesting. Axing or knifing to the face. It's a theme here. Rehan from New Zealand. Wow, that's far. Writes, my holy crap moment was when the governor uh, freaking bit off Merle's fingers. Made, <laughs> made me say out loud, holy fuck, with members of my family in the room. So hopefully your family members are not too offended and uh, they still love you. <laughs> it would be really <laughs> horrible if they didn't. It really, it really oh, would oh be. Oh my, you swore. Get out. Yes. And when I say New Zealand is really far away, I mean from here. Probably not so far away for Rehan. Yeah, not from, not from him. <laughs> We're far away from him. Yes, we are. Finally, Fallon in San Francisco says, holy crap, did you see Merle as a zombie? Seriously, what was that? Like an hour for him to turn and look all decayed? And seriously, a knife through the skull? His head wasn't decaying long enough to be that soft. I had a hard time suspending my disbelief for this scene last night. Everybody has soft heads. Yeah, we've determined that. Everyone has super soft heads, alive, dead, whatever. 
we also speculated, didn't we, that the the virus that they're all infected with is actually slowly uh, weakening their skeleton even before they're dead, I think. I would think so, yeah. So um, I see his point, though, uh, about um, Merle being that sort of dead and decayed looking already. What's it been, like 20 minutes? At least an hour, maybe two? I don't yeah, think it's pretty fast. I don't think Daryl took that long to get there. So Shane didn't look that decomposed right after uh, he turned. Uh, he just kind of had that, f- you know, furrowed, furrowed brow, and kind of coloring when, was off. When you think about it, Shane did look pretty bad, didn't he? And he, he, you know, was shot and stood back up again inside two minutes. That's true. So maybe something happens really quick here when they turn into zombies. Um, either way, though, that aside, I think Merle as a zombie looked really great. I think so, too. I think he did good. They did, you know, subtle-ish zombie makeup, even though he was, you know, all gross-looking. Still looked like Merle, uh, but just Merle as a zombie. Okay, that's going to do it for Holy Craps. Did you see that? And before we wrap up, we do have a couple of spoiler things after the uh, end of our episode here tonight, so we'll get to those in a minute. If you don't want to hear those, we'll wrap up the show. You can turn it off. For those who do, we'll have a couple of spoilery type things at the end um before we finish though jason did you check for some itunes oh, I ratings I this did, week i did we have uh actually a whole bunch of uh five star ratings over the last week 14 of them nice read some of those usernames and maybe pick one review to read it uh no it's all closed down i'd have to take <laughs> so we've got uh, five star reviews well i didn't know you were going to do that and sorry it takes me five minutes this computer to launch uh itunes it takes at least five to ten minutes all right i'll show I'll, you this thing's on its last legs i'll try to i'll try to give you a heads up next. all time. right we got ocean playground we got johnny tripod we got uh jen zavala we got uh jody the ceo of fun oh that's a great title that is a good one we got uh marge jock and death hag and uh J Die twelve twenty eight and uh, Church of the Harvest Austin. I don't know what uh, Church of the Harvest is. We got uh, D D Boozer and uh, this is a fun one that I it took a while for me to actually read. This is John twenty forty eight forty eight thirty eight twenty eight nineteen. <laughs> That's a lot of numbers. <laughs> we got uh, Undead uh, Doctor three W. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Allen Allison and Indy uh, Gibraltar and Not Yelser. These are great usernames. Good ones. Now, when we laugh at them, we're not making fun of them. John. We're just, we're just, we're just laughing along with them because we're, they're inherently hilarious. Yeah, we don't find it uh, funny. We find them delightful. Delightful. They're delightful. Exactly. John two zero four eight four eight three eight two eight one nine. Hopefully, that's, that's not his like credit card number or phone number. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Nobody, yeah. nobody tried buying anything or with that or calling. Oh, sure, give them ideas. I just thought it was a bunch of numbers. <laughs> Maybe it's his birthday. Maybe it's a combination of his... Uh, There's no 48 in any dates. Maybe it's the combination to his luggage. It could be. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for five-star reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, we really, really appreciate that. And it's a good way to get us noticed. So thank you very much for doing that. All right, folks, that is going to wrap up this episode. Next week is the season finale. Bum, bum, bum. Finale. It's called Welcome to the Tombs. So we will be back to talk about that, review it, break it down, and uh, just see what the sort of this season three all culminates into. Who knows? Uh, next week on the program, we're also going to talk a little bit about the Walking Dead spoiler, not spoiler, the Walking Dead survival <laughs> instinct. 
the video game that was recently released and is getting less than stellar reviews, I would say. This yes. is the Dixon Brothers video game. I had a chance to play this uh, for a couple of hours when it first came out last and, Tuesday. And by next week, I will have played it too, I hope. Did you bring it for me? I did not, not this oh. time. We'll have to try and get it to you. Somehow we'll get it. I'll put in a couple of hours too, so we'll at least do sort of a review about the beginning, our initial thoughts on it. Uh, I know boy, you... do I ever have thoughts. Good. We don't want to spoil that, though. <laughs> That'll be next week. Review of The Walking Dead Survival Instinct. All righty, everyone. If you would like to contact us, by all means, give us a call on the Zomb line. It's 1-866-483-ZOMB. That's 866-483-9662. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, which I've been slightly more active on. Every few days I go and check the Twitter account and I respond to people and retweet stuff and so on. So uh, I'm just not very good at Twitter. I don't know what it is. Um, I'll try to be better. Uh, yeah, I have the same problem with Facebook. Well, I'm good at I'm better at the Facebook. You can go over there to facebook.com/thetalkingdead. We are there. Lots of people uh, participating over there, and uh, it's it's fun to chat with everybody, the listeners, and everyone else. And uh, you can also email us, of course, at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I read all of those. I try to read as many as I can on the show. And no matter what, I super appreciate everyone spending time and effort to send us in their thoughts. And comments. It really, really makes it fun to do this and to hear from everyone and read everything we get. Uh, okay, so that's going to be it for this episode. We'll see you next week. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. All right, real quickly, we're going to do a couple of spoiler things here. We got an email and a call, and I thought I'd put them after the end here because they're a little spoilery. So if you don't want to hear it, then you probably aren't listening. You've already turned us off. Okay, so and then after the spoiler, I want to talk about Peterborough. On the program? Well, we had a call from, we had an email from Jan from Peterborough. Okay, fine. I don't know if we can spoil Peterborough, but I don't know. All right, we'll see. Well, it's not really relevant, but we'll put it at the end, and if anybody wants to listen. Fine. Steal. From Mississippi writes, and this is spoilery for the Rise of the Governor novel, mostly. He writes, I had a strange thought after the events of Prey and how Milton acted toward Philip in this episode uh, that led my mind down a wormhole. Now, this is somewhat based on the book Rise of the Governor, so it might contain spoilers from the book, as I said. If I remember correctly, Philip was actually the younger brother that was the badass of whatever group he was in, and his older brother, Brian, was a meek, weak person that Philip had to protect all the time. This would also mean that they knew each other uh, since before the outbreak, they being brothers and all. In the book, Penny is his daughter, and Philip did lose his wife. I know how the showrunners like to take existing material and spin it in a new way for the show, so I guess this is why my brain went in this direction. But how cool would it be that Milton turned out to be Brian, and after the death of Philip, whether in the finale or whatever, that Milton snaps and becomes the governor from the comic. That could be interesting. <laughs> I think so. Um, I really do hope Milton survives, because I like him. I kind of hope he joins Team Prison, to be quite honest with you, and he just keeps going on the show. I hope so, too. You know, whether the governor dies in the finale or not, um, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but if they did something like this where then, you know, Philip... Or, I mean, uh, Milton kind of 
snaps, goes crazy, and steps into the role of another leader. Like maybe he's not a leader right now, and we've all we've we can really see that. But maybe some sort of traumatic event will push him in that way or make him go crazy or whatever. And so they could be doing something similar to the novel here, where you know they've got two characters, they know each other from before. Some people have speculated that Milton was the governor's asshole boss that he was referring to last episode, uh, right? Yeah. So, you know, maybe they could do something like that. The meek becomes the, uh, you know, the strong, sort of. That could be... Ex- the only problem I have with that is I thought Rise of the Governor was supposed to be canon to both the comic and the TV show. Yeah. The more I think about all that, though, there just seems to be no way for the comic, TV show, novels, and everything to all be canon together. It just doesn't fit together very well. So so far, it's it's good. Not quite. What's, what's I, I feel well. I feel like the time frame or the and the setting for the comic and the and the uh, TV show are way off. Are way different. Like technology is even at a different level. Well, technology, yes, but I mean the storyline could be uh, could be either one. It could be the, the the backstory to the governor in the TV show as well as the backstory to the governor in the uh, in the comic. Yeah, I I think the novels and the TV show are closer canonically than the the comic is to either of them so that being the case you know maybe the rise of the governor and the novels fit into this tv show sort of theory that steel in mississippi has true i think it'd be cool all right quick before we end here uh cindy in nashville um uh continues her call because we played the first part of it earlier but the second half of it got a little spoilery at least i think she was uh speculating on some stuff so let's hear that also, I don't know, you know, maybe you move this to a spoiler section. I don't know if you consider preview spoilers. Good but idea. if you watch yes. the preview from The Talking Dead, the show, not you guys, and I know that you sometimes don't watch that, so maybe you didn't, but um, they show the governor and his people um, coming into the, uh, the, the prison area, and there were no zombies in the field or the prison grounds. So it's kind of like, holy crap, did you see that there's no zombies around? Where did they go? Um, anyway, my prediction is that I predict that Beth dies carrying Judith, just like uh, Lori Judith died in the comic. Oh. So that's it, guys. It's my one and only call for the season. Um, I hope that you do some podcasts in the off season, and um, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, Cindy. Um, she's probably spot on here. Yeah, you know? I think that. Yeah, you're right. She's right, uh, and I agree. In the comic. Uh, Lori was killed during an attack on the prison by the governor. She was fleeing with the baby in her arms. And as Robert Kirkman said, the governor cut her in half with gunfire. That's what happens. It's one of the most insane traumatic things in the comic. It is. And I've always kind of thought, we're just not going to get that sort of thing in the TV show. Defenseless woman running away, holding a baby, gets gunned down. Her and the baby are both killed. Um... And then when Lori died on the show in a totally different way, I was like, okay, they're gonna, they're not gonna do that. They're gonna do something absolutely different. But Beth is sort of, you know, been the caretaker of this baby. Although we saw Carol saw doing it a lot. Carol's there too this week. So it could be either of them. But I think Cindy may be onto something here. Yeah, I see this happening. And it kind of upsets me for two reasons. Because I'm not sure I want to watch that, but I will. And also because I really don't want Beth to die on the show. No, I don't want Beth to die. I don't want Carol to die, and I don't think they should kill a baby. No, it's, all of this is just wrong. <laughs> but you know they they've got to do something. So they're gonna they're gonna shock us. They're gonna surprise us. I don't think they have to show it, but I think they can say, uh, like they can Daryl can say, you know, they're dead. 
like I saw them. Uh, we can they can tell a story of uh, the baby died. No, uh, but I don't know if they can show. They'll it. show us. They're gonna show us something in the comic book. You see, if I remember correctly, you see uh, Laurie running towards the camera, the comic book camera, holding the baby, and the shooting comes from behind her, and you sort of see her, you know, explode into a massive bloody pulp, and that's the angle we get. It's the most gruesome angle to see it from, basically, right? If the TV show shot it from behind, maybe Beth is running away from the camera holding the baby, so you don't really see the baby, and she gets shot and goes down. It's just as traumatic. It's the same thing, but it's not quite as gruesome, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, but uh, this is network television, though. I'm not sure we're going to get this past the, uh, the censors. Well, they keep saying they haven't censored them yet. And again, if they do it in a way that isn't, you know, quite, I don't know, isn't just, if, if they don't show a baby getting shot, maybe they can pull it off somehow. Yeah. Bottom line is I hope it doesn't happen, mostly because I, I don't know, I want to see, I want them to do something with the baby, but I don't know if this is it. Yeah. And I don't want to see Emily Kinney's character be killed off. No, I don't want to see that either. So uh, someday I'd like to have her back on the show again to talk about season three, so if we do and she's dead, I guess it's a whole different conversation. You still have the same conference. You can have a call in. She can Absolutely. call in and you can still talk about it. Absolutely. It'd be better if she were alive at the time. It the might show. be a little happier. Yeah. For her and for us. All right. That is it. Uh, thanks for listening to the spoiler section, everybody. We'll be back next week to talk about Welcome to the Tombs. Good night. And now Peterborough. Oh, Peterborough. What about Peterborough? That's it. Just every time somebody calls in or uh, writes in from Peterborough, I think about the time. You remember we drove into Peterborough, and we were driving through Peterborough, and we turned around a corner, and by God, there was an elephant standing in the parking lot? I recall that. Yeah. I just that, That's it. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> that time we went to Peterborough and saw the elephant? That was fun. It, we didn't go there to see the elephant, but we did see the elephant because he was standing there. No, we needed to buy uh, a, a video cassette. Yes, that was a long and time coffee. ago. And coffee. We needed coffee. Coffee. Um, 2005. That was August uh, like 14th, 2005. It was the summer of 2005. That's right. Um, the elephant was there for a circus that was in town That's or right. something like that. Yeah. And they, he was in the elephant staging area outside the circus venue. Yeah, it was just funny. You had to go all the way to Peterborough to see an elephant. Yeah, you can't even see them in the Toronto Zoo anymore. No, but now you can see pandas. It's good times. I'm going to go see the pandas this summer, I think. I saw pandas in Shanghai once. Yeah, I saw them in San Diego. San Diego, a whale's vagina. Yeah. And that'll end this episode. Good night.